Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Tonight I'm going to talk about a, um, a subject that I guess in our nation at the moment there's a battle over and, uh, and that is truth. Uh, there's a battle over truth in our nation about what is real truth and uh, there's a lot of stuff happening where people are making up their own idea of truth and uh, their own idea uh, of truth or based on what they think or their, how they're feeling or, uh, or what's happened to them or basing truth out of maybe hurt and pain or things they've gone through and just on all different stuff and so it's getting very mixed uh, in our nation and someone say, oh, this is truth and that's truth and that's right and that's wrong and that's not wrong and that's right and, and all that kind of stuff. And so tonight I want to talk about speaking the truth in love. Uh, and this is what Jesus did all the time. And Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about truth because at the moment in our nation, some people are afraid to speak the truth, especially the truth of God's word because they're scared of what people are going to say and think. Jesus was never afraid to speak the truth in love. In fact, Jesus valued truth more than the risk of offense. Because sometimes when Jesus spoke the truth, some people did get offended. He didn't go out to try and offend people. And if you go and do that, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to say this and I know it's right or whatever and they're going to get upset and I can't wait or whatever. No, you don't go and do that. And Jesus didn't do that. But a small amount, and it was a small amount, of people, mainly religious leaders that had their own agenda, their own thinking, they did get offended sometimes when Jesus spoke truth. But majority of people, when Jesus, they were, see people in our world still today, they hunger for truth. They won't come up to you and go, I really, I really hunger for truth. But the truth is, they hunger for truth. They really want to know what truth is. That's why people are searching and trying this and trying that and doing that, because they really want to know what truth is. And so Jesus spoke the truth in love. And, to, and tonight I want to talk about those things, about speaking the truth and about love as well. Why did Jesus do that? Because when real truth is applied to our lives, it brings positive benefit and protection for us. God put truth there for a reason because it's good truth is truth. And when you apply it to your life and live by that truth, it actually helps you. It protects you from getting your life messed up by sin and messed up by a whole lot of other stuff. It protects you from hurt and pain and unnecessary hurt and pain. And he, he said, live by the truth. And he was doing it because God loves us so much. And Jesus loved people so much that he wasn't afraid to speak the truth and possibly offend them because it was worth them. It was worth saving their souls. It was worth, they were so valuable to him that he said, I need to tell you the truth so that I can reveal to you and show you the best way to live. Even at the risk of offending you and me. So tonight we're going to talk about truth and love. The truth Jesus spoke had a foundation. The truth Jesus spoke about has a fixed point. The truth Jesus spoke about is grounded. It came from a grounded position. It came from a position, a foundation, a fixed point. The truth 
Jesus spoke about is still the same truth today and hasn't changed over thousands of years. What Jesus spoke then still applies today and he would say exactly the same thing today as he did 2,000 years ago. He wouldn't change it. He might change the way he delivers it through Facebook maybe, on the internet, maybe you got a Jesus blog and you follow Jesus on his blog around the world, I don't know. He might change the way he delivers it or whatever, but what he says would be exactly the same because truth is truth and it's founded in something. And it says this in John 17, 14 to 17. Very, very clearly it says this, I've given them your word. This is Jesus praying for, for his disciples and praying basically for us, for us, for the future followers of him. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. I've given them your word, the Bible, and the world has hated them because, simply because they have his word. For they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Can't get it much clearer than that. God's word is truth. God's word is foundation. God's word is a fixed point. God's word is grounded. And, you know, the trouble that, you know, we're seeing in our world at the moment is truth is being spoken. They're saying it's truth, but it has no grounding, has no fixed point, has no foundation, and changes sometimes week to week. You know, if you've, got a, if you've got a building, and you're going to build a large building, and you go, well, it's got a great bit of land over there, and it's all, you know, and I, you know, the, it's land, but the ground, oh, they said it's a bit, you know, it changes a bit. It's a bit sandy, you know, and, I'm not, and it's a bit not very good foundation, but I'm just going to build it anyway. I'm just, I don't care. I want to build it. That, that, I like the view. It's my idea. I'm going to do it. I'm going to build it there. And so... Let's go build the building on that land. Water comes, what happens? It washes under, the building collapses because it wasn't built on a good foundation. Why would you ever try and build a society on something that didn't have a solid foundation? Why would you ever try and build a society or a culture or something like that that has a foundation that was always changing, always shifting or wasn't solid but could any time crumble What's going to happen? The whole society, the whole culture is going to crumble with it because it has to be built on a solid foundation. God's Word is truth. God's Word hasn't changed for thousands of years and is as relevant today as it was back then. It's been relevant to every generation. I'm amazed that, you know, when you, you can look at things through the ages about the theory of different theories of different things and theory of evolution, where it has changed over time because as scientifically, as they find out new things, they have to change their theory. 
Oh, suddenly now this is not, it's not millions of years, now it's hundreds of thousands of years, or it's not thousands, it's 10,000, or oh, no, we're wrong about that, we found something else, so we're changing. And so it happens all the time, and if you can, it's easier to find that stuff out. And they, you know, they'll still disagree that with God's word, but they'll, they'll say, oh, well, no, this has changed, we found this, discovered this, you are, we were, yeah, we're a bit out with that, and oh, this planet's further away than we thought, and, and then we, oh, I think the universe probably ends somewhere there, then we get a bigger telescope, oh, no, it keeps going, it goes a bit more. And so they find out all this new thing, so so they're forever changing their theory. Now, some people, it's, it is a theory, but a lot of people take it as truth. Oh, this is truth. Oh, I believe this or this. But then they keep changing their theory. They keep changing their truth. What I'm amazed about is this. The Word of God hasn't changed for thousands of years. And every scientific discovery that keeps coming, you never have to get it and match it up with the Word of God and say, oh, we're going to have to change that. We're going to have to change the Word of God. Every scientific discovery, everything, that, every new theory, every new thing they come up with actually fits in and matches the Word of God, confirms the Word of God every time. And if it didn't, you know what? They'd be jumping up and out. Look, you have to change this. But they can't. They don't do that because every time they come up with something they discover, it fits perfectly in with the Word of God, which hasn't changed, hasn't changed for thousands of years. I'm amazed that they have to keep changing theories. Scientists keep changing their theories and ideas about things, but the Word of God isn't changing, doesn't have to change. And so there's so-called truths being spoken in our world today, in our nation today, and they don't have a fixed point, like I said. They change con constantly to suit a situation, to suit an idea, or suit uh, a feeling. Now, here's, I just want to give you a couple of different examples. And one example is this, um, that's something we're hearing about in media. And some of you might have heard of Safe Schools, which is a, uh, which is a program run, run mainly in Victorian schools. Uh, in 307 schools in our nation, matter of fact. And so part of that teaching, it's meant to be an anti-bullying program, but part of that teaching uh, is says that teaches kids from 13 years old and up, um, some younger but mostly that age, that there is 63 different genders as part of the teaching. And so... They basically say, and you can get a hold of the curriculum and read that and some of the classes and people have got a hold of it and talked about it. I've seen lots of examples and basically said, so they teach kids that, hey, there's 63 different genders. It's not just male and female. There's 63 different ones. So like this week, you might feel like you're male, but next week, you may feel like you're female. And or you might be in between on the third week, uh, or you know, or if but if it's changing because because your gender is fluid, right? It just it, that's how it's meant to be, you know. This is truth, and they start so they're they're teaching that as truth to our kids in those schools, and there's parents jumping up and down about it, and and all that kind of stuff. There's a whole lot of stuff going on about that, but I'm not going to talk about all that stuff. But I just want to use that as an example that look you. Just think about that for a moment. Like, what is the result going to be if 13-year-old kids that don't even care about that are sitting in class? I just want to go and play with trucks. Can I go outside and kick a football or soccer? Can we just, can we please do some maths? That would be really good. I'm struggling my English. Can we do learn about English? Uh, can I read a book? Um, you know, and they don't even care about that, but they're suddenly going to, oh, you could, you could be one of 63 different genders. 
And so they go, oh. And they start to think about that. What do you, what do you think over time that's going to do? It's going to bring confusion to kids. So since they've introduced that in Victoria, there's been a 600% increase into hospitals that deal with gender confusion in Victoria. 600% increase. And so that's just in one state. And so I sort of think, well, and it's not based on any, it's not even based on science. It's not even, doesn't even line up with science. It's a true, they're saying it's truth. It's a, it's a theory, it's an agenda education theory coming from um, a certain group of people, a certain university in Victoria. And it's basically, they're saying, well, this is truth. This is what it is. But do you know what it's really based on? It's based out of someone's feelings. It's based out of someone's Hurt and pain maybe they've dealt with. It's based on someone, oh, I've gone through this. I'm feeling like this. Because the truth is, over time, sometimes kids get a little bit, you know, I'm not sure, you know, they deal with some of that stuff. And, that's, and it can be real for some kids about their gender and things. And some guys can be a bit more feminine aspects. And some girls can be a bit more, you know, tomboyish or whatever. But do you know what? After a few years, after once they get 17, they actually work it all out. And they actually... Oh, I'm all good. I know who I am. Just struggle there for a minute, just trying to work it out. But no, 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 they're taking it a whole other level. And so what I'm saying is if they're saying that's truth and they're speaking that is what is the result going to be? They're going to have a whole lot of kids that wouldn't have been confused are now really confused because they've been spoken, something has been spoken in their lives saying this is true. You need to deal with this. You need to think about this kind of stuff. So that's an example of an unfixed truth. What about this? An example of a fixed truth, real simple one. The Bible's about that we need rest, we need sleep. Okay, there's about 50, over 50 scriptures that talk about that. Even Jesus slept, okay? He slept in a boat, he was tired, they had to wake him up in the middle of a storm. Even a thunderstorm wasn't waking Jesus up. Been, been preaching all day, he was tired, I need to sleep, leave me alone guys. We'll get to the other side, be all good. And so, talks about sleep, getting rest, okay? So imagine someone, just imagine me, I'm like, oh well I don't agree with that. Who says I need to sleep? I don't need to sleep. I can just go, I'm just going to stay up. So I think the longest I've stayed up, um, probably because I was out in a boat fishing, um, was about 36 hours, I think. Um, not fishing the whole time, but um, but some of that time. And about 36 hours. Has anyone been up longer than that? I'm sure someone, yeah, all the transformation guys. And so <laughs> that's what I expected. Good on you guys. I expected that. I won't ask for any records. The gamers. Where Aaron Wasatch? How long? No, Aaron. Aaron, speak the truth. You're in a safe environment. You can just share your heart in a safe environment. So, saving environment. So, so there's you know if you if you don't get some sleep, your body actually you get tired. Yes, we understand that. You get tired, but actually if you don't get enough sleep after a period of time, your body starts getting sick. You get tired and then your immune system isn't as strong and you can, um, you know, catch colds and flus and all that kind of stuff and you're susceptible to all that stuff. So there was a um, true story. There's a young guy uh, in Japan, a uh, teenager. I think he's like, he was like 15 or 16 years old and uh, it's just three or four years ago now, maybe a bit longer, and loved computer games. And... Um, and he thought, oh, I don't need to sleep. I don't need to sleep. Parents wanted him to say, go to sleep. He was like, yeah, I need to sleep or whatever. No, nah, I don't believe that. I'm just gonna, I love game. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this instead. 
you know, I'm going to play computer games. So he did. So he played computer games and, uh, and played and played and played and played. He got to 81 hours and he fell off his chair and dropped dead. Dropped dead at his computer desk. Simply because of lack of sleep. So you can butt up against the truth if you like. But eventually it'll kill you. You know, people can say, oh, I'm not going to drink water anymore. I'm just going to drink Coke. You can do that if you like. And you probably will live for quite a while because it has got some carbonated water in it. But eventually, you're going to go to the doctor and you'll probably be a bit overweight. Uh, you're going to go to the doctor and, and the doctor's going to say, oh, some of your organs uh, that aren't functioning properly and, and you've got this, that, and, they're gonna, and your body is going to start to actually get sick. Uh, now you can so you know because if you look at water, what the water does it re, it uh, rejuvenates your blood and creates blood in your body and all that kind of stuff. And but too much sugar isn't good for you and all that kind of. Stuff. So you, there's these truths that are in our world and people go, oh, you know, I'm not going to don't agree with that. Now the thing is, like people can you know, and there's other in the Word of God, you know, where there's other truth. There's truths about life, how to treat people, how to live life, about family, about marriage. But they're all truths that God has put in place for our goodness, for our protection. To watch over because He loves us. And when you start messing with all those things, you go, well, we don't need that. You'll pay a price for it. And you'll start to get sick. And it might be real quick. It might be 81 hours for the gaming guy, not sleeping. It might be a few years. It might be a couple of decades. But suddenly you'll pay a price for not agreeing or just butting up against saying, no, I don't believe in that real truth. I don't agree with it. I'm going to live, live it my own way. There are benefits for truth. Here's, an, here's a scripture that highlights this. In John 8, 31 to 32, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So knowing the truth, knowing real truth, actually brings freedom. Knowing real truth brings freedom. So let me ask you another question. What happens to someone who believes and lives by a false truth? If knowing real truth brings freedom... Someone could be living their life and, and they think what they're living is true. They've been told it's truth, but it's a false truth. And so they start living their life by that false truth. And they might live, oh, I'm going to live how I feel because they said that's all right. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up my own truth. I'm going to do life my way. I don't, you know, whatever you say, that's fine. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way and it'll be fine. And they may think, you know, I'm sure some of you, you've probably tried to live life that way. And maybe you've tried to say, well, I'm going to do it my way. Don't care what people think. And, and I'm going to be so free. I've heard people say, I'm going to, be so, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going, to, I'm going to have freedom. Do whatever I want. It's going to be awesome. They think it will lead to freedom. But doing things your own way leads to self-centeredness and leads to sin. Leading to the freedom they thought they were going to have, it leads to sin. And it has the opposite result of 
of real truth, instead of bringing you into freedom, the truth setting you free, that, that actually truth that's not really truth, but it's an untruth, actually binds you up. Hardens your heart. It's like you're bound, and you think, oh, I'm going to be so free, but get down the track a bit and go, what? how come I'm not feeling free? How come, oh, this should be working? What? And then, you know, you hear some people say, you know, they'll say things like, well, you know, this phrase, I, I believed a lie. And I've heard, you know, when they were younger, they got told things by a family member, a friend or whatever, and they said, oh, you should do this, you should do that. And, and, um, and it wasn't really the best way to do things. It wasn't really the truth. And they lived by that. And they said, oh, I believed a lie. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought it was truth. And, and now my life is just a mess. And because I believed a lie, I got told that. I said, that's the way to live. That's the way to do it. And, and it hasn't worked. Where is your life based on? What is it based on? Is it based on real truth? Is it based on a false truth? We need to know, you need to know where your life is grounded and based. You need to always think about where's, where is my thinking coming from? Where is these thoughts coming? Is it coming from Facebook? The way I'm living, is it coming from uh, the internet? Is it coming from a group of other people that don't really know anything about God or about life? Is, where's the influence coming? What am I actually listening to? Is it based on real truth? So two things I've shared is that truth, real truth is a foundation in God's Word. And secondly, knowing real truth brings freedom. The third thing is truth goes hand in hand with love. Real truth. And this is what Jesus did. He just didn't come out and go... Here's the truth, and just say, you know, this, you, and can, you know, just, un, you know, just show people, this is the sin you've done, and, and just reveal it to everyone. No, he did things, he revealed truth to people, but he did it with great love, simply because he did love them, and we should be exactly the same. As Christians, we should love people no matter what they think about us, no matter what their thinking is, no matter what their truth is based on, no matter what they li- how they're living, whoever they are, whatever sin or whatever trouble they've caught themselves, caught themselves into, we should love them no matter what, unconditionally, because Jesus does. In fact, he deliberately went after the ones that no one loved. He deliberately went and found out the ones that no one wanted to hang out with, and went and found those people. So it says this, truth goes hand in hand with love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3 and 6. And um, uh, Dave Faulkner sang a great song this morning, Steve Gray's song. And, and he mentioned uh, a bit of this scripture. And, uh, and I love that, how he sang, because he had passion for our nation. And uh, it says this, If I speak in a tongue of men and or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong, or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Then it says this, love, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Tell you what, if you speak to someone, I don't know if this is up or not, if you speak to someone without love, 
Time for a drum solo. This is what it sounds like to someone who, you know, you, know I, you, might, you might have the truth. You might be saying the right things. But when it's not done in love, this is what it sounds like. you remember that? That's what the Bible says. When we try and do anything, not just speaking the truth, but when we try and do anything, all these, all these incredible things like prophecy and, and, and all these gifts of the Spirit and, all the, and helping the poor, and if you're doing any of that without love... To the person you're trying to help and speak to, it sounds like that. That's all they hear. Noise, 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 noise. And I would say this, is if you want to speak to someone, but you can't do it in love, then don't speak to them. As a Christian, don't speak to them. Go home and begin to pray for them. And when you, love, when you love them like Jesus does, and when you have a love for them and a compassion for them, then go and speak to them. Because if you don't, and you go and speak to them, and, and you might be saying the right thing, and you know, you're right or whatever, and you maybe, you know, they're doing the wrong thing or whatever, but you don't do it in love, then all you're going to do is represent Jesus badly, and represent the church badly, and represent Christians badly, and they're going to go, all I hear is a clanging cymbal. All I hear is dun, 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 because their heart will be closed off to you because it's not done in love. 1 John 3.18 says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. With actions and in truth. Truth is always, it goes hand in hand with love. And Jesus showed us so many times, and I'm going to share one story, where Jesus showed us so many times where love came with truth. And he showed us the way to talk to people. And he said so many parables, so many stories, so many situations. Some of them, some of them were real situations, like the one we're about to talk about. Some were Stories, he kind of just, they're a parable, they're an example, they're a made-up story, but proved a point about a true point, revealing truth to people. But he showed us how to show love to people and speak truth in love. And, uh, and some of you would have heard this story, and many times, or whatever, but this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it shows where Jesus went out of his way when he didn't need to, but he, he deliberately did to go after one person, and speak truth in love. A person that wouldn't have had other people around her speaking with love, would have had people around her in a town condemning her because of the way she was living, pulling her down, heading out to a well every day or two, or whatever, however they, how long, how often they went, I think it was every day, went out by herself because no one else would want to hang around with her. 
And so Jesus in John 4, it says, John 4, 4 onwards says, Jesus was on his way uh, through Samaria. And it says, on his way, eventually came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, um, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. He was with his disciples. They went off into town, another town, to buy some lunch, buy some food. They're all hungry. And, uh, and if you know anything about Jews and Samaritans, they never talk to each other. The, the disciples would have wanted to go around the town, not even set foot near uh, this well or set foot near there because there'd be Samaritans there and they despised them. They basically didn't want anything to do with them. And so soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. There's some incredible lessons in this story. Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. That's an incredible opening line to talk to say to someone who you've never met before. And she says, you know, you're not meant to be talking to me. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't talk. And he says, if you only knew the gift of God has for you. If you only knew the gift that God has for you. He made it personal. And who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Then she said, then she's like, well, obviously he's not talking about the water in the well. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come to the, here to get water. She's thinking, oh, awesome. I don't have to walk to the well every day. Just give me this water, one drink, all good. And then Jesus asks a question. He talks about all, he talks about living water, and then he asks his question Go and get your husband. Jesus told her, Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, You're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're with now. And then straight away, she diverts the subject. And uh, starts talking about, you know, asks a question about worshipping God and all that kind of stuff and why the Jews do it this way and all this kind of stuff. Have a conversation about that. But I want to pull out something out, out of this for a moment. You know, what if Jesus arrives at the well and she's walking towards the well and Jesus says this, Hey, hey you woman, you don't have a husband. You don't have a husband. You've actually, you've actually had five husbands and you're not even living. One your man you're living with at the moment isn't even your husband. That's what he's, the same thing what he said. But what if he started off speaking like that? What is she going to do? 
he's just like, she's going to think, I'm, I'm, he's just condemning me. Going to feel condemned. She's going to feel loved. No, she's going to like, I don't need water that much. I'm out of here. Go for I'll, I'll come back. Now, was he speaking the truth? Was he doing it in love? So I'm amazed at how Jesus, he, he obviously, he spoke the truth. He got to it. But this is what he did first. Jesus started by offering her the answer to her problem before he dealt with the problem. He starts talking about this amazing living water, which he knew that she needed. He knew all about her life. It was a word of knowledge. It gives the Spirit as a word of knowledge about her life. He knew it all. He didn't start talking about her sin. He didn't bring up her faults. But I guarantee you, she's walking the world by herself, wasn't with all the other ladies, because every time she walks through her hometown, they're like staring at her. Don't have to say anything. She just feels condemned. Saying, oh, you're the one that had five husbands. You're the one that's living with a man now. And in that culture was like massive, massive sin, massive. You're... And that's how she lived her life. And so suddenly Jesus starts talking about the answer that she needed. Then he brings up with love, he says, hey, you know, you're right. You don't, you don't, have, a hus- you don't have a husband. So you've had five husbands, the one the man you're living with, you know. And so she, she diverts from that, but then comes back and says, the woman says, I know the Messiah's coming. They get back to this conversation. I know the Messiah's coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. You know, the, the thing is about sometimes, and I'm just saying generally, like sometimes some, some Christians, the problem is we want to get people to realize their sin instantly. We want people to have a conversation. Oh, you've got to realize that you've done the wrong thing. They know they've done the wrong thing. Majority of people know they've done the wrong thing. They know they're not doing it right. They just don't know how to get out of it. They just don't know how to deal with it. They don't know, they don't know, well, I know I'm doing the wrong thing, but I can't, I've tried all this stuff. It's not working. And so we often want them to instantly, you know, get them to say, oh, you've done this wrong. You've got to, you need to fix this up or whatever. Point it out. Instead, we should just show them love and allow the Holy Spirit to do the convicting in his time. I was, my, my mum told me a story in about the 70s, I think it was, in a church down in uh, Victoria. And there was a couple that came in, and they're still in the same church today. They're a couple that came in, and they, were, they just walked into church out of the hippie movement, and they were full on into it, you know, and, and drive around a combi van and all that kind of stuff, and into all that lifestyle that uh, was with that. And they walk into church, and they just sat there, you know, they're obviously living together, they weren't married, and all that kind of stuff. And they're sitting in church, and... Uh, didn't know, you know, they were just searching for some spiritual thing. They were searching for God or whatever. And they sat in church week after week and people just loved them. And she said her mum's friends are still in that church. And, and they said they just loved them and, and, uh, and accepted them and just chatted to them. They, didn't, they knew their lifestyle. They knew where they were coming out of. And obviously church they walked into, there was a whole lot of people that had it together. And it wasn't like full of different people, different lifestyles and things like that. It was a together church and everyone was dressed, you know, looking good on the Sunday or whatever. But they just accepted these people and got to know them. And about six weeks into it, they're sitting in church and both of them looked at each other and said, 
straight away they said, looked at each other and said, you know, it's wrong that we're not married. It's, we, should, we should be married. We should, we've got to do the right thing. I don't think it's right what we're, lifestyle we're living. And, and no one said anything to them. The pastor didn't say anything to them. No one in the whole church mentioned anything like that to them. And they went to, the pastor went to that and said, you know, we've realized that, you know, we're not doing life right. We, we're not according to what God says in his word. And we want you to marry us. And now they're pastors in that church 30, 40 years later. And the thing is that sometimes we have to be aware that it's not our job to do the convicting. It's our job to do the loving. Especially in our world we live in at the moment, we're there to love people. There's a, um, there's a devotion. I'm just going to read one day of it. I'm going to encourage you. We're going to finish in a minute. I just want to read something to you. But that story, if you keep reading, I encourage you to read it. If you haven't, Transformation, guys, if you haven't read that story in John chapter 4 about the Samaritan woman, go and read the rest of it. Because an incredible thing happens where her whole village ends up, come, like most of them, a lot of them come out to the well and Jesus goes back and to their village and for two days tells them about the kingdom of God, an incredible thing and, and their lives are restored and all because of this woman had an encounter with Jesus. There's a, I want to read this to you, there's a, uh, Emma found this, that uh, in, uh, there's an app you can get on your phone called the Bible app, it's free. Uh, there's about 270 million users around the world uh, at the moment, which is awesome. And uh, that's what it looks like there. It's called Version Bible App. And you can, if you've got a smartphone, an Android phone, an iPhone, you can look that up. And I know a lot of our young adults and, and some of you sitting here have got access to phone are using that. If you're not, it's a great, um, it has all these different versions of the Bible and different studies. And so there's a study in there. It only goes for seven days. And, I'll, and I'm going to read you the first day. And, I'm, and as a follow-on from what I'm talking about tonight, I'm encouraging, that's the study there, the politically incorrect Jesus. The Politically Incorrect Jesus. It's a seven-day devotion with some scriptures. And I want to read one to you. And I encourage you, over the next seven days, or between now and uh, next weekend, or however you want to fit it in, I encourage you to download that if you haven't got the Bible app or if you're using it. And go and do that. It won't take you very long. And I want to read this to you. It says this. He's a, a guy who works in media, a Christian in media. And uh, in America, it says, as a Christ-following member of the media, I often find myself in situations with individuals who do not share my worldview of faith. It's in those social scenarios that I realize that my work is simply to show up so God's presence has a place at the table. Being a Christ follower is all about finding that common ground with everyone. Jesus did that exceptionally well. And he refers to the story I've just told. In John 4, Jesus went out of his way to find someone, in this case a Samaritan woman, whom society said she should, he should avoid. That's the first step to finding common ground. You often must go outside your comfort zone, whether it's geographically, emotionally, or politically. Jesus showed us the second point of finding common ground when he did not condemn the Samaritan woman. John 3.17 tells us Jesus does not condemn and neither should we. He didn't yell at her for her sin or heap shame upon her. He intersected with her life to show God's love and reorientate her focus to God's truth. Bringing a person face to face with their sin is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is, the, it is he who convicts in John 16, 7 to 11. Note it says, he convicts, not condemns. Neither Jesus nor the Holy Spirit condemns people. 
Conviction does not leave love out of the equation, whereas condemnation leaves no room for love. Conviction is born of love, condemnation from a lack of love and compassion. It has been said that righteousness without tears is arrogance. I'm afraid the world has seen too much of our righteousness and not our tears of compassion. Following the examples of Jesus in finding common ground will allow us to act as Christ's ambassadors and reach others so that they may be reconciled to God. And I encourage you, that's the reading of day one, and then there's some questions and a few scriptures. And I encourage you, he talks about different subjects along the way, but along those lines, and it's very balanced and very good. And I'd encourage you, if you're able to, to look at that over this next week. It says, John 3, 17, to repeat that again, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we're, we're exactly the same. Let's be people that don't ever show any condemnation. It's not our job to convict people. It's our job to love people and to speak the truth. Some people will get offended when you speak the truth. It's okay. The 95% of other people won't. And Jesus realized it was okay if a few people got offended for the benefit of the other 95 or 99% probably. I'm going to uh, continue next Sunday morning I'm preaching. I'm going to continue from this point and share along these lines again. And as we finish tonight, I just want to show you, I'm not going to talk about the story, but I want to show you a video. And uh, it's a three-minute video about the story of the woman. It's another story like the Samaritan woman about the and it flips it on its head. It's a woman that was brought to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery. And it reminds us again of how Jesus dealt with the situation. And then after that, we're going to pray and finish. Right, let's just watch this to finish tonight. Early the next morning, he went back to the temple. All the people gathered round him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery, and they made her stand before them all. Teacher! This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. Now, what do you say? They said this to trap Jesus. They could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, he straightened up. Whichever one of you has committed no sin may throw the first stone at her. 
Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, they all left, one by one, the older ones first. Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up. Where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. Well then, I do not condemn you either. continue talking about that story on next Sunday morning, but it's another example where Jesus, in love, did he mention the sin? Did he know she, she knew she'd done the wrong thing? Did he say, did he say, hey, you know, did he just avoid the sin altogether? No, he didn't. He said, don't go and sin anymore, but he didn't condemn her either. A woman who was surrounded by imagine being standing there surrounded by people about to throw rocks and kill you and people condemning you and the whole point wasn't even about her it was about trying to trick Jesus because they didn't care about her but Jesus did Jesus did and our world our nation just needs us to be like Jesus to speak the truth in love. Don't condemn. Don't try and convict or reveal people's sin or try and bring it up or whatever. You're doing the wrong thing. No, just love them. Just show them Jesus and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Why don't you stand tonight? Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.